To say that Candide by Voltaire enjoyed an immediate success is an understatement. Candide was a phenomenon, an 18th century media event. That's according to Voltaire scholar Nicholas Cronk. A slim satirical volume featuring a story rooted in the wit and wisdom of the philosopher known as Voltaire. In the entry on wit, esprit, in his famous philosophical dictionary of 1764, Voltaire reports that wit is the art either of bringing together two things apparently remote or of dividing two things which seem to be united or of opposing them to each other. It is the art of Voltaire's Candide to leave readers unsure whether they should be weeping, screaming, laughing, or all at the same time. Atrocious sufferings are recounted with the innocence of a children's fairy tale. Elevated questions of philosophy, which for a century had divided the greatest Western minds, are brought crashing down to earth amid the clamors of warring armies, collapsing cities, and inhumane barbarism. It is easy to see why critics have read Voltaire's novella as a document written in despair, but the laughter of the book suggests this is only half the story. Voltaire is enraged at human cruelty and idiocy. He scorns the Panglossian pride which pretends to justify the unjustifiable with blithe self-assurance and vain sophistries. He despises any theory clever enough to explain away human suffering but not humane enough to decry it. But this is because he believes human beings can be better. For Voltaire, we can and should challenge all fair-sounding ideologies, reconciling us to indignities visited on others we would not accept for ourselves. And then, of course, we must make our garden grow. Delaware Valley Opera is elated to announce that the ensemble will return to performing live again this summer with three very special concerts, including the first operetta concert that includes highlights from Candide. chance to speak by phone with Carol Castell, who has been with DVO almost from the very start. She is artistic director. And Ken Parks, general manager. 
about the exciting news of the return and what is on offer. The mission of the company is to bring quality opera to the area and to also encourage young, young people to know about it or to learn how to sing, to expose them to it, and to also use the talents in the area as much as possible. And that's kind of what we've been doing on a very small level. We've been around for 35 years, so I suppose something's working. We never had a real place. We never we had a little office in the DBAA building, but that wasn't because you could never go there without them being there. And there's really no real good space to do things like rehearse or even the theater is, is minimal. And well, well, we make it work, and it makes it kind of fun because it's grassroots and all, but we're going beyond that now. You know, we've, all of a sudden, things are kind of... Because of the pandemic, I guess, we just had time to think and rethink about our future and whether we were going to give it, give it up and quit or whether we were going to go on and if we were going to go on, how we were going to do it. So that was all management and, and strategy. Definitely. But you could do that over the phone, you know. <laughs> we could rehearse on the phone, but we sure couldn't manage on the phone. We just had some uh, infrastructure meetings and stuff. What came out of those sessions and the brainstorming and the to be or not to be question, right? Yeah, I guess it was. Well, a lot of it was that it was just like, for instance, this summer where we were noticing, and Ken can certainly vouch for this, that we didn't know when we made the plans for the season whether or not we would be able to do it because COVID hadn't opened up yet. We hadn't opened up from COVID and we have to make decisions. So um, we thought, well, we'll try to find a place then that we can, with, with optimism, think that we could separate people if we had to in a big enough space or a place where we could go inside or outside. You know, and we couldn't do a full production because you can't rehearse with 10 or 11 people in close contact 24 hours a day for two weeks and do social distancing. So we ended up with this concert series, and we're finding it very, very difficult to talk people out of their homes because they've been in their homes for so long. I guess they figured out they liked it. But we're having a really hard time getting people to buy tickets and come out. So it's going to be a very difficult year. It sounds as if you found a very good place to do this summer season. As Carol mentioned, way back in January when we had to, you know, make some decisions about what we were going to be able to do this summer, we looked around in the area and we found uh, a place that seemed ideal for our needs, and that was in a little town here called Calicoon Center. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere, but it's a lovely setting, and there was an old resort there for years called The Hills. A big company has taken it over recently and renovated the heck out of it. And they brought in, they had disassembled an old barn out in Indiana and put it up on their grounds by a lovely pond. And it's a huge space, two and a half stories high, big barn doors that open, fans for air circulation. So that seemed ideal for us. And as Carol mentioned, it also had room outside on the lawn that if situation that the situation was still that we couldn't comfortably perform indoors, we could have done it outside. So we're performing in the Hay Press Barn, they call it, at Calicoon Hills Resort in Calicoon Center. And we're looking forward to it. But uh, as Carol mentioned, it's a challenge because it's not the Tustin. It's not where everyone, uh, our audience members, know where to find us. So we're trying our best to get the word out. Let me ask you then, you had a chance to say, all right, we're going to do this. We have this good space now. As you suggested, Carol, you can't put 
so many people together so intensely for two weeks of rehearsal. Mm -hmm. How did you decide that it would be a concert series that could help you ease back in? Well, concerts don't need anywhere near the kind of, you know, staging and and building of sets and all that kind of, they don't know sets, so you don't need that. And we we had enough people in our in our stable, if you want to call it that, or in our history, that we could call them up and say, these people would sing well together. We'll call them up and see what they know. And so a lot of times we're using repertory these singers have already learned. So they've already rehearsed it, they already know how, and we'll have a couple of days of rehearsal to be sure they can get on and off the stage properly and, and do some small staging, so there's some visual aspect to the performance. But um, as far as... Timing is concerned. We're gonna, you know, they're not even arriving for this this weekend until Tuesday. They're not even in town, so it's only like four days of rehearsal. That's music and and staging, so that's that's pretty quick. You've chosen yeah. themes then for each of these concerts. <laughs> You're laughing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we did. It's not easy to do. <laughs> you know, the word opera is like a dirty word. Sometimes people go, "Oh my God, I don't want to go to that. I can't imagine going to that for a whole evening. Oh my God, oh my God." And the uh, operetta, of course, is really fun. And uh, what was it, feisty and feisty, fabulous? Feisty, and, frivolous, and frothy. And frothy, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yes. that music really is just that. It's fun and it, it tinkles. It, it's light and frothy, titillating and funny. And uh, so the idea was instead of saying, we are having a concert of operetta, you know, nobody would even hear that, much less go to it. But if you say something is feisty and frivolous and frothy, they might think twice, and what the hell is that? And then they'll look, and they'll see, oh, Copperado, that could be fun. So we're trying really hard from a, a point of view of trying to attract the audience or trying to give them an idea of what these, these concerts will be like in a very small amount of time. In other words, it's kind of like your elevator speech, you know? You can't go on and on about it. We don't have time for that, and people don't read anymore. So if you don't whack it really first off, they're not going to know what it is. So we went from the other other direction. We described it rather than named it. And the cowgirls, I mean, that's really going to be hard to describe. So sure enough, it's divas because these are all opera singers. And they're very good opera singers, by the way. And Dolly, because it's, they're doing all this country stuff. And uh, you've done me wrong because they're taking all this opera and putting it together with country music. It's hilarious. So hopefully that little title will, will bring in some interest as well. Ken, are yeah. you involved in this? Are you singing? Oh. Oh, well, part, uh, I'm, I'm doing backup. <laughs> uh, the, the first concert, which, as Carol mentioned, uh, is the operetta program, and I'll be narrating and sort of emceeing and singing in the, in the little choral sections of some of the numbers. And uh, what we're doing is the first act is a, a potpourri, everything from Gilbert and Sullivan through the, the usual suspects, Victor Herbert, Romberg, Frimmel, Offenbach, Strauss, and the entire second act, we are doing selections from Leonard Bernstein's Candide, which is a show that I dearly love. And to finish that section, of course, is that wonderful uh, song called Make Our Garden Grow. And what we've done, there's a short, very brief choral section in that a cappella, and we've invited all of our local DVO alums, people who have sung with us in the past, as well as members of the Sullivan County Community Chorus, to join us for that choral section as a way of, of involving them with a minimum of rehearsal time, but as a way of bringing us all together again after this long, mm -hmm. long enforced absence. Uh, and then we're going to have a heck of a party after the matinee. And <laughs> <laughs> so. that's, that's why we do it, you know. <laughs> And Carol, though it might be frivolous and frothy and, and fun, 
it isn't necessarily easy singing that you're giving your cast. No, you know, operetta is deceptive in that. I mean, look at the Candide. You have to have one heck of a color tour to sing the, the role of Conegunda. It's incredibly vocally challenging. And that's what makes it so exciting. You know, to see an ordinary person doing something extraordinary is exciting. Whether it's uh, football or whether it's baseball or whether it's chess or whether it's uh, singing. And that's the part that I think people need to become more aware of. It's really wonderful to sit there and watch this person do something you go, I can't even believe I'm listening to this. But it's not easy singing. It isn't easy singing. None of the singing that we're doing is easy. From a, from a pop singer point of view, there's no microphones, you know. I mean, that's the whole idea of training the voice was that it's an acoustic instrument. And that makes a completely different kind of talent, training, and um, approach. And people may be surprised at how many melodies they recognize. I would, I would think that they recognize a lot of it, don't you think, Ken? I think because what he's chosen to put on there is very popular stuff. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and likewise, with the second concert, which uh, Carol's staging, opera selections, <laughs> you'll hear all of your favorites, I think, from, uh, <laughs> from a, a range of composers. And uh, we've got some fantastic singers in there. And I will, I will say that we're not completely acoustic on the third, the opera cowgirls, because they do use mics and uh, mm-hmm. instruments because they play guitar and banjo lele and string they bass do, do and squeeze box. Music, yeah. But uh, as Carol mentioned, they are all fantastic opera singers who combine country and western and opera in a really, really fun way. And we purposely put that concert third or last so that we could explain to the audiences at the first two concerts a little bit more about what the opera cowgirls are. Mm -hmm. What they've done is they'll take a very familiar aria and they'll do it in country-western waltz rhythm or something. And then they'll just sing a, a beautiful aria straight out. And then they'll sing something country straight out. But it's all very humorous. For instance, one of their uh, selections, unfortunately, I don't think they can do it here. They had a guest artist, a fellow who tap danced in boots and blue jeans, and he had a little box to tap dance on, and he tap danced to Una Voce Poca Fa, and it was absolutely (laughs) delightful. (laughs) That's the kind of thing they they like to do. It was fun. So they're, they're very creative, they're very ingenious, and it's a little different. It's much more informal, and it's fun. And then we understand you're looking ahead to the holiday, and you've got a lovely piece programmed for the December holidays. Yes, it's a story that everybody should know. Um, uh, Some people don't yet, but they should. It's a great little story. Yes, well, we were looking around, hopefully, for something a little bit different from your traditional a mall in the night visitor or something like that. And we hit upon uh, this operatic version. It's only a little over an hour long. It's an intimate piece with uh, four principles, uh, an operatic version of the O. Henry story, The Gift of the Magi which obviously revolves around the holiday of Christmas, but it, it's a very human story. And uh, I, I can't wait to see that and present that to our audiences. Yeah, I think it's going to be very well received. Carol, I wanted to ask you about the work you do with singers and helping singers learn better to be present on stage as a mm-hmm, character. Mm-hmm. And you work and train people in just something as basic as breathing and breath. And also I saw online that you offered a mask workshop, and all I could think of was pandemic, because (laughs) (laughs) metaphorically, though, it's a sense of breath and the importance of breathing, and then the masks, and there is something so fundamental in everything we do. 
Well, I have noticed, um, and this is, I can only speak for myself, but I teach a mask class, which of course doesn't have anything to do with breathing, really. It, it happens automatically if you're in, a, in like a neutral mask. But what's interesting about it is people look at you and they don't recognize you. And you also find out that you're safe because you're not on show. So it allows the singer to actually go inside and work from the inside and how they feel rather than trying to always show on the outside. It's a very good way to get a singer to, to be more um, authentic in their, in their work. But I did notice that when I was wearing a mask or an, a week, year and a half, that I was glad to put it on at certain times. And I said, why am I happy with that? This? But whenever I went into a shop I'd never been in before, I liked being in the mask. Like I didn't have to make nice with people. I didn't have to have them kind of respect, respond to me. Uh, and I didn't have to wear lipstick. <laughs> you know, things like that. All of a sudden, it becomes easier. I thought, oh, no. But that's what happens when you wear a mask. And I think maybe, from talking to some of the people that I know and from my own experience, that being in a mask and being isolated really forces you to think about and make decisions on what you used to do that you can't do now. And how much we didn't do that we've always spent so much time on do we really need to do that anymore? Do we really need to worry about that anymore? And I think it's going to change the people's lives. And how that's going to affect theater, I don't know. I think it should make theater easier to go in and experience. But I'm not sure that people are ready to, you know, they've been really comfortable with their, their television and staying in. Getting them out is a little awkward right now. It's just knowing yourself. It's, again, that whole thing, which is what acting is really, you know, is doing self-discovery and, and uh, human nature and all that kind of thing is, is part of that. And I think it happens to people who aren't even trained in knowing what they're doing. If you're in that situation, you're going to make some discoveries. And it doesn't matter if it's a comedic role or a role in tragedy, right? It's getting yeah. to the essence. It has to come from, from authenticity. And comedy isn't funny um, if you think it's funny when you're acting it. And that, then it becomes vaudeville, you know, with telling jokes on stage and laughing at the same time as the audience. True comedy is really hard to do because you have to do it and not know it's funny. Can you mention narration? How are you stringing these pieces together? <laughs> uh, uh, for some years after I stopped performing full-time as a, a singer-actor, I formed a, a little group, performing group called Historic Notes. So I, I had a little experience putting together programs of American popular music pre-1920 based on themes, and I always wrote the narration for that giving a little context about the song itself or the composer, the times. And basically what I tried to do here was just set up each number very briefly just to get people on and off the stage and transition from one number to the other without slowing things down. And, of course, in the second act with Candide, because we obviously won't have time to do all of the music in that operetta, my job was to fill in the gaps of the, of the story so that each number made some sense to the audience that might not be familiar with it. And, and I think it's, it's working. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see this weekend. <laughs> and it is lovely to have that coming together of the musical community with Make Our Garden Grow. That whole operetta, that whole musical theater piece, uh, almost imitates what we've been going through in the last year and a half when you think about it. And all of this stuff that's supposed to happen and this is supposed to be, it, it isn't. And they get back to the roots. They get back to the basics. And at the end, they say, let's just, let's just make a garden. Let's deal with what we really need. And I mean, you know, there's many ways to interpret that piece, but 
to me, it was just so obvious that it's like, let's just, let's just get a little house and, and, and do what's human, you know, and all this other political stuff that goes on. And so in a way, if anybody catches that, I think it would be great to catch that. And that makes a classic, doesn't it? That it speaks yes, to it each does. time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's so much of why you do what you do. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and hopefully that'll shine through, too. <laughs> they were really passionate about this music and, and seeing other people get a chance to hear it because it, it enriches someone's life so much. And it's very hard to talk about that. Well, how does, it, how does it enrich your life? Well, it's really hard to say. It's one of those things you have to kind of explore. You have to be there. Go try it. See if it enriches your life. But I think it does. Well, we, uh, we, we hope people will come check this out and see if we're right in all of these assumptions. July 10th and 11th will be our operetta programs, and then a couple of weeks later, on July 24th and 25th, is our opera program, followed by the, the Opera Cowgirls, August 14 and 15. Two performances only. Uh, we were going conservative because we had no idea what the situation would be at the time or how comfortable people would be coming out. So uh, if you're, you're interested in coming, grab those tickets now. We have a new ticketing system, and people can find tickets for these concerts on myrivertickets.com and simply look under the concerts category, and there we are. Ken Parks, longtime actor and singer and general manager of Delaware Valley Opera and accomplished stage director and vocal teacher Carol Castell, who has directed over 60 fully staged opera productions and worked with such prestigious companies as the Aspen Music Festival, the Finnish National Opera, and Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts. In 2004, she founded the New York Opera Studio in New York City. And they were speaking with us about the return to live performances of Delaware Valley Opera this summer. Three staged concerts, the first, an operetta concert titled Feisty, Frivolous, and Frothy, July 10th and 11th. And that will feature music of Gilbert and Sullivan from Pirates of Penzance, Gondoliers and more, Johann Strauss the Younger, Deflatermaus, Lehar, Victor Herbert, Sigmund Romberg, and many more. And there will be a roster of wonderful performers and musical direction by Matthew Rupsich and accompaniment by Erica Rome. That's July 10th and 11th. The second production is an opera concert titled Lovers, Liars, and Libertines. And that's July 24th and 25th. And then the third is, we heard, Opera Cowgirls, Divas, Dolly, Done Me Wrong, August 14th and 15th. The productions will take place at the Calicoon Hills Resort in Calicoon Center, New York. For more information on the web, DelawareValleyOpera.com. DelawareValleyOpera.com And we had insights into Candide by Voltaire from Stephen Lee Morris in Gardens Theatre and Social Justice After the Pandemic. Notes from Arden. <laughs> 